that's the effectiveness we want to achieve also with our platform that when you report, the quality is checked, it's high, this is a scam case. And then at this high quality, this is distributed and available to everybody, to all the companies that are involved, and they can immediately you now shut this down or investigate it. Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. Seems like nearly every day I hear about a new investment scam or a terrible story of someone who's fallen into a pig butchering scheme and lost funds they simply cannot afford to lose. It's not an overstatement to say that scams are a persistent plague on the crypto industry and present huge risks to all Web3 users. So I'm always on the lookout for anyone that's building solutions for this problem. This week, I'm excited to speak with Nicholas Staub, who's the CEO and co-founder of Sybera. They're a leading provider of scam and money laundering prevention tools, and they hope to enable the crypto industry to better partner with law enforcement so that we can all protect users. Nicola explains how his time in Switzerland prosecuting financial crimes led him to found Sybera with a mission to serve victims by empowering financial services firms and law enforcement to more easily share data and collaborate across jurisdictions. Nicola emphasizes the importance of speed in preventing and recovering assets lost to scams and highlights the role of financial institutions and messaging and dating app service providers in the fight against fraud. He warns the industry about the growing use of AI by scammers and the need for a collaborative approach to combat the use of deep fakes in crypto scams. Last thing before we jump into the episode, if you're interested in this topic and you want to hear more about pig butchering, crypto investment schemes, and romance scams, well then you must definitely attend the Chainalysis Links Conference. It's coming up soon, April 9th and 10th in New New York City. We've got an amazing lineup of speakers from firms like Paxos, Bank of New York Mellon. We'll have experts from United States law enforcement and financial regulators, and of course, the whole team from Chainalysis. So head down to the show notes where you can find a link to register today. Today I'm joined by Nicola Stab, who's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Cybera. Nicola, welcome to the podcast. Hey Ian, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. I am super excited to talk about your company because I think you're working on one of the biggest problems of our day, which is stopping what seems to be an epidemic of financial scam activity. I hadn't heard of your company until just the last few months when our respective companies started collaborating together. So maybe we can start with a bit of background on what does Siberia do? How do you help people? What's the mission of the company? Yeah, sure. And um <clears throat> Well, I'm glad you've heard about the company now and you know what we're doing because it is it is truly an important mission we run. And just to back up a little bit, because it's important about, you know, talking about Cybera is also very much linked to my personal background. And so before Cybera, I, I worked as a public prosecutor in Switzerland. And long story short, I dealt on a daily basis with scam and fraud victims, internet crimes. And I realized uh, how big the problem is how easy it is for criminals to carry out these attacks and how you know horrible on an individual basis this is for, for an individual or a person that falls victim to a scam. It sparked a big passion for me to do more against these kind of crimes. And one of the result, let's say, is Ibera, a company that we started three years ago based on some insights that I had, you know, on the job as a prosecutor uh, dealing with these crimes and seeing a way where we can improve some big pieces um, by building technology. That's quite the pivot. I mean, we talk to a lot of founders on this podcast. I think you're the first who's gone from prosecutor to, to leading a, a technology company. How did you have the confidence to make that jump? 
I mean, that's, that's a very different career path, I would imagine. Yeah, I should put that out there, in the, you know, but uh, I think it's true. I don't know any other prosecutor who went from <laughs> prosecutor to uh, CEO of a startup. Well, to tell you, I mean, honestly, when I first started studying, I actually never thought that I would end up working for government <laughs> in the first place. Because <laughs> I always had, and it's a bit in my family, my, my dad is, you know, quite logically entrepreneurial, and I always liked to improve things, and I liked to also technology. But I studied law, right? I loved criminal law. I did a traineeship at the office of the attorney general in Switzerland. And I kind of, if you want, fell in love as much as you can say that uh, with the work of law enforcement, um, with investigations, working with the police, fighting crime and helping victims. But so, yeah, how did I make that jump? After four years, five almost in, in law enforcement, uh, I still loved the job, but I, I, I kind of merged with my entrepreneurial spirit and I saw some way how we can really make a bigger impact. And I have to say, of course, I have my co-founder, who is also my twin brother, who had a business background, who knows the startup world a bit better. So that helped to give me some confidence to team up with him, you know, and kind of form that dream team, joining these forces and building a company. Yeah, it's been exciting. <laughs> Incredibly fortunate to have a built-in co-founder in, uh, in, your, twi <laughs> yeah, exactly. in your, your twin brother as well. That's uh, that's amazing. So you mentioned as you were a prosecutor, you, you spent lots of time trying to help victims and, and fight these scammers. And you uncovered a couple insights that led you to realizing there might be more impact that you could have than just prosecuting the bad guys. Talk us through what some of those insights were. So in general, you know, um, I was just amazed by the amount of these scams and the, the money lost. It really happened on a, on a daily basis, right? And how they happen in the detail, of course, is different case by case. But overall, they have very similar elements. And it's always that in one way or the other, criminal scammers trick somebody or a company. It's usually a person. And they trick that person into making a financial transaction. Now, eight years ago, it used to be mostly wire transfers. And then increasingly, of course, it's crypto, right? This happens in all of these fraud and scam cases. A very key thing in how we can improve this is by working with the financial sector because they're very much involved, right, in these crimes unwillingly. They don't want to be. And you know that, of course, as well with, you know, chain analysis. And where I saw a gap, you know, um, to put it very simply, is one in crime reporting, and two in information sharing. I mean, let, let's take, you know, a, Ro a Romance scam often starts on a dating app. I know that would never happen to you, Ian, but just imagine, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you're, you're on a dating app and, and, and somebody, you know, uh, kind of, you know, starts con a conversation with you and, and they end up ca kind of scamming you. And, and the result is that you, let's say, make a wire transfer. You're, you're sending 80,000 from the US to a bank account, let's say in Germany, though they trick you into making also a crypto transaction with uh, by like, you know, Bitcoin transaction. Once you realize you're a scam victim, you know, you go to your police, or you, you seek help, you want help with recovering your assets mostly. But frankly, you know, I mean, what do you think if you go to your local police, I guess you have some experience, do you, like yeah. what happens, you know? Well, and I'd love to say that they, you know, open up Chainalysis Reactor and they do an investigation and they contact, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
you know, they contact an exchange and they freeze the funds and they return yeah. to the victim. But that's the rare occurrence. The more likely case is first, the victim's embarrassed because yeah. they realize they've been scammed. So they're going to be hesitant. They may let it go for weeks or months before they report it. And then when they do show up at the police station, you know, that frontline officer often has no experience with financial crime. And so, you know, they hear, oh, the funds are likely in crypto. Well, then they've probably been transferred overseas. There's nothing that can be done. You yeah. don't even open a case. So it doesn't get recorded usually is the experience, right? It's it's underreported. Yeah. So, I mean, for, from my experience, and I mean, this is not a bashing of law enforcement, of course, because my heart beats very much for law enforcement. And I would say, you know, 99% are doing an amazing job. But what I, what I realized, right, there's just lack of resources, there is so many cases, incredible amount of cases. Like even when I used to be a prosecutor, I had like hundreds of cases and I could deal with one after the time. And then often, as you said, they don't have the technology or resources. And I would go one step further, right? Law enforcement and the police's job is primarily to investigate, catch the criminals, but it's not primarily to help you recover assets. And there's kind of a tough, you know, way to find a solution. But that's exactly you know, where Cybera innovates today, basically. And to recover assets and the response side of things and for prevention, speed is key, right? The faster we can report, the faster we can alert the bank in Germany, let's say, where that money went to, the faster we can help tracing and alerting, like you said, right, the crypto exchange, and the faster we can share the, the crime data, you know, that is reported across the ecosystem, uh, the better everybody can use it for prevention. And so that that's exactly, you know, that gap that we're, we're every day trying to, to fill with more and more success. It's amazing and valiant that you're trying to solve this problem because it's one I encounter every day. You've been at it for a number of years now. Give us a sense of the, like, who are you working with and what's sort of the, the scale of the, the business in any dimension you're happy to share? I mean, you know, I started around three years ago, uh, pretty much alone with my brother. We're now, you know, uh, kind of a global company. We build technology, right, a platform that helps exactly with what I said before, right? We have built a platform where a scam or fraud victim can report. They get resources, they get help. We then alert banks or help with tracing and alert crypto exchanges immediately and very fast in a case. And we share these alerts uh, through our partners, which includes now, you know, Chainalysis, which is quite amazing, of course. And in that sense, yeah, we, we came from, I would say, zero to today, helping every single day scam and fraud victims. We've helped uh, close to you know, 10,000 total victims now that reported wow. through the platform and uh, would say between yeah, 10, 10 and 30 every day. And uh, for this year, you know, this is this is uh, we have uh, additional partnerships that that will go live very soon where this number will increase a lot. Um, and it has to because, as you know, right, that's still the tip of the iceberg. And our platform's goal is really to help pretty much every legitimate scammed fraud victim out there. And yeah, of course, that's not possible alone, right? So we, we're very much about building a community ecosystem. Uh, and we work with financial institutions, so banks, also crypto exchanges, 
they work with us to help scam the users or customers. They also use our data for prevention, uh, but we also work with law enforcement and with victim nonprofits. For example, in Switzerland, right where I'm from, the police officially works with us. And whenever there is a fraud victim, they now hand out a leaflet saying, hey, report also with Cybera. Uh, it just boosts the resilience of the ecosystem. And in the best case, you know, it can help you get your money back even. Amazing. So I imagine that there's a, a bit of a tension between the prevention side and the recovery side. Like ideally, we would be able to stop all the all the scammers before they steal anyone's money. And, and we don't have to worry about recovery at all. Um, looking at your website, it looks like you've actually got multiple different products that are, you know, one set oriented towards a bank or a crypto business or other financial institution. And then you've also got services that you offer to individual victims as well. Am I am I following that correctly? Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty much correct, right? And uh, you're right, if we can prevent every scam, then we can we can kill the recovery side of things, which <laughs> I'd be more than happy to do. Yeah. But it's not very realistic, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, so uh, just have to become much, much better and do what we do, which is information sharing at scale to fight back, basically. In terms of like uh, the solutions right now that we offer, you're right, it's what we call the, we call it the Cybera AML Watch list which is basically a, a very high quality block list of you know suspect of crime data reported to us um, and so that is useful for banks who for example include accounts that we flag uh, for crypto of course but also for individual people right or, or, or companies so if you trade a lot in crypto whatever you can actually you can access also as an individual our watch list and check if a name or a social media account or even a bank account you know provides a hit and that really boosts prevention and you said right right if prevention fails it's important we have something almost like an insurance that we try our best as Cybera, but as everybody involved to, to help try to get that money back uh, before it ends up in the hands of the scammers. That's where our response solution comes into play. Can you talk a little bit about the relative scale? Because I know you said when you first started as a prosecutor, almost all fraud in the financial context came back to wire transfers as kind of the means of getting money from victims. I sense that mix has shifted quite a bit. So, you know, on this podcast, we're generally talking crypto. We talk a lot about pig butchering. If you can, give us a sense of kind of the relative dollar value behind different methods in which people are being taken advantage of. One of the key um, statistics, or I would say at, at least today, who has the most reports in crimes, it's not yet Cybera, by the way, but soon. <laughs> it's the FBI, right, in the US with IC3, yeah. where we report also on victim behalf quite a lot. And, you know, when you look at the statistics the FBI provides, then the two clear number one types of fraud and scams is uh, today, one, it's business email compromise, CEO fraud, which often, mm -hmm. you know, companies are a victim of. And that's most of the time via transfer. The other one that you've mentioned it several times is investment scams, which, you know, now mostly goes by the name of pig butchering, which is most of the time crypto. And so from what I personally have seen when I started uh, in law enforcement around eight years ago, there was a lot already of romance scams uh, with wire transfers. 
And I did see that there has been a trend to mix that and like start with a romance scam, right? And then get the people, the victim basically to invest. And most of the time it's to invest in a fake crypto platform. And that's pretty much what you, what you call people drink today. Uh, we see that at least like, yes, there's crypto, but we also have several victims who were, were the scammers, you know, first they make a bank transfer, then they switch to crypto. So we, we really see both, right? And we're talking order of magnitude here, billions of dollars a year, right? Is that? Is uh, that... Abs yeah, yeah abs absolutely. So again, one of these numbers that is quite tough to measure, the FBI says something like, I think 10 billion, there's a big underreporting. Gaza, one of the nonprofits have estimated that it's already in the trillions. Wow. So there, there is several measurements, but clearly the number one crime out there when you talk about victim losses. And one thing I always like to point out, right, almost every Everybody has somebody in their family or a friend who has been scammed and sometimes it's smaller amounts but if you add all of that up right we're talking billions and that is money that goes from individuals from legitimate kind of you know people really more or less directly to to full organized crime so it's money but it's also organized crime that's being that's growing you know and of course there's a lot of emotional consequences for victims themselves beyond losing money which you know can go as far as to leading to suicide and really really bad bad yeah. results so yeah for us that's you know pure motivation to to do more and, and to fight back We've talked quite a bit about the, the industrialization of the, the scammer operations, right? And particularly in Southeast Asia, where you have these kind of factories where many of the people that are, that are working there have actually been trafficked into that yeah. and, and kind of forced labor. There was big news out of China just a few months ago where they arrested, I think the number they reported was over 30,000 individuals who were supposedly involved in this. If that were real, I would imagine that we would see like a meaningful decline in the the new scam activity I'm curious if it, you've you've seen any data in, in your your systems to to indicate that that was real or or has had any effect we haven't seen it you know a bit tough to talk about you know individual countries uh, rule of law I mean I'm not an expert on on China and China law enforcement but at least there is some I think questions marks. I mean, it's it's obviously known that the, I think the judiciary and law enforcement is at least not fully independent how the Western world like to do it. So I'd hope to see the US or a European country publish the same news, you know, that would give me some hope. And there is some hope, right? I really think when I compare eight or almost 10 years ago when I started and the last two, three years, it's really nice to see that the topic is much more out there. Also, thanks to, you know, people like prosecutor Erin West, who is very publicly about it and about, you know, the news who are writing much more about these stories. So to put that out there, I think it's really good and that has changed. But for the individual victim, honestly, I don't think the situation has, has that much improved because it takes time. Law enforcement still has a lack of resources and the scammers increasingly also thanks to, you know, AI technology, they are becoming even better and better, you know, by the day. And so th this will remain an ongoing battle for sure, even if there is, you know, more and more, more, more success in prosecution. One of the things I've always wondered about is, while I might use a, a crypto exchange or a bank to ultimately send money to a scammer, that's not usually the point of inception. Like you mentioned earlier that many of these start inside of a dating mm -hmm. app. You know, if I scroll back through my text messages over the last year, I've got tons of these seemingly random, innocent, wrong number 
type yeah, messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally I'll interact with them. And I mean, it's, it's fairly clear it's a scam just because I'm used to it. I'm kind of expecting it. I see it as a scam. But, you know, I think about the entry points or actually tech companies, the telephone company, like my, my cell phone service provider that allows you know, these kind of random spam text messages to get through. Are you doing any work on that side of the ecosystem to try and limit the access to potential victims? Yeah, it's, it's a very good point, right? You're right, of course. When the money flows, I would say it's almost already step three. It's often the banks today that are in the, in the crossfire. Um, uh, but I think rightly so, the banks especially in the UK, are, are fighting back quite a lot, saying, hey, this has to be a whole ecosystem approach. We have to stop the scams or, you know, put some more pressure, if you like, uh, with the online platforms where they often originate. And it's true, right? Even also in our uh, platform, we see uh, a lot is originating on WhatsApp, on Telegram, also on online no dating platforms. And so I mentioned, right, uh, when you go and report to the police, for example, that's one thing that certainly is not happening, or in most cases, not right. But actually, and that's when you report to Cybera, you know, that's the vision, but it's we're actually very close to it is when you report, we don't just share information with the banks or with the crypto, crypto ecosystem to prevent, but we're also, you know, providing that to, for example, a, a dating app provider. And we, we, are, we are moving towards that. And I think that that's the effectiveness like I we want to achieve also with our platform that when you report, the quality is checked, it's high, this is a scam case. And then at this high quality, this is distributed and available to everybody, to all the companies that are involved, and they can immediately, you know, shut this down or investigate it. That trend is is happening and very important. I fully agree with you. I mean, it seems like the information sharing, the rate at which you can disseminate, hey, we have a scam or this group of individuals are involved in, in perpetrating a scam and get that information shared as widely as possible so that every financial institution, crypto business, bank, all have that data Ideally, we, we also get that upstream into you know the messaging apps, the dating apps, so that they can close the accounts that these folks are using. If you can do that, you know, after we've detected one one victim, it just limits the blast radius in such a way that'd be really powerful. Why isn't everyone using Siberia? Like, what's what's the objection when you go talk to one of these folks? I, I hope after this po- after this podcast, they'll all be using us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because you're there spreading the word, you know. I mean, to be frank, we're still also an early stage company, right? So we are building, we're not out there in the market for that long, but uh, let's say a bit over a year, you know, since our platform is really working in that, you know, very effectively and it is growing more and more are you using us. Two things I would say are, are very, very important and, and it's kind of up to us to, to deliver that. And one is the trust, right? But trust comes really from, from security, of course. We have to be, you know, secure and, and it's the, the quality. Right, imagine like everybody's plugged into Cybera. We want people to trust our intel, to trust our data. If we have bad data, that's not good, right? And so that that's a big, you know, like I would say 
one of the challenge that why why what we do is actually quite complex. Like it's usually it sounds very easy, right? It's say, hey, why is that not existing? It should actually exist already since like 15 or 20 years. Yeah. Why isn't, you know, Interpol doing it? Why isn't anybody else doing it? It's actually quite complex. But yeah, we've built a system that now is already, you know, very good and gets more more accurate to do that. And we need partners. And one of the big ones is Narcha Analysis that we're very ex- excited, right? Because you guys have, have reach, much, much wider reach, of course, than Cybera does. And so that's also why I'm very excited to, to partner with companies like yours yeah. and that we can expand that reach and really together make this whole ecosystem much more safer from these, these horrible scams. All right, so we we got to get the word out there, is what it sounds like. That's that's uh, one piece, that's one piece of the puzzle for sure. <laughs> now, are there people who don't feel good about the information sharing? Like I, I know on the victim side, obviously there's there can be embarrassment at getting scammed where they may not want to report. But I'm curious more on the financial institution side. Is there a reason why they wouldn't want to participate in an information sharing network? It sounds like this is all upside for them. Very relevant, of course. I would say the biggest this hurdle is actually um, the law, let's put it, the, the legal provisions to some degree, right? And uh, then the, the risk, if you want. So so one way, of course, to share information is bank to bank or crypto to crypto, right? Yep. Um, or law enforcement to bank. But there, one of the biggest hurdles are legal provisions, right? So, for example, law enforcement is actually, in most cases, not, not really allowed to share. In some countries, this is now softening up, but that's very, very slow progress, and it's it's risky. And the same is kind of with banks, right? Or especially then when it goes global and cybercrime scams are completely global. So even if they're allowed to share, sometimes it's within the own country, but it's not global. So there's all these hurdles, right? And that's actually where, when we started three years ago, and that's more true now than ever, that's one part where the innovation with the two solutions it provides makes sense. Because with us, any bank or crypto exchange uh, can recommend this, this additional support for their users who are scammed. But it's actually, in most cases, the victim or the user that comes and reports with us. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of the data that makes sense to share for the whole ecosystem. But we get it ourselves on our platform, legally like check, uh, so we can then actually provide it. So it's yeah. kind of a, a win-win-win, actually. Yeah. And you don't have to wait for all the laws to change, which they, they might. <laughs> <laughs> which I may never will, you know. I'm a lawyer, so I know this takes a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, so in this case, the user reports the the scam or the fraud to Siberia. Siberia then combines all of the reports you're getting all around the world. And then any one of your customers now has a very accurate, relevant list of known scam activity that they can use as a a means to prevent their other customers from falling victim to it. So blocking, you know, withdrawals to a particular, a particular person or a wallet address in the case of crypto like that, uh, that makes all the sense in the world. That's great. Exactly right. Maybe one thing to mention is what sometimes we forget is that every scam or fraud is also money laundering. Not to get too legal here, right? But this sometimes operates in two different spheres, but every fraud and scam results pretty much in a financial transaction. And for the bank, and the, I mean, same for crypto, right? Uh, this is a money laundering 
transaction a money laundering risk and so it's actually not just important like voluntarily to be better and detect that stuff but it's also from a re- regulatory point point of view very important that as an as a exchange or as a bank you do the best possible thing you can do to detect this stuff and if you don't you know we've seen it i mean uh, i mean you know that better than me binance is the latest example but many are fined because of not taking enough measures when it comes to money laundering so i think it's important to always point out this is not scam fraud but it's really this also trillions we're talking of money laundering that you know we need to prevent that's a great point i'm curious about the other side of the business so you know after a victim has contacted you and recovery i saw on linkedin you posted a look back at 2023 and i think it it said that you had helped victims recover almost five million uh, us dollars how does that work and i i'm particularly curious because there's been some reports of recovery firms that are maybe not really operating in the best interest of their customers, yeah. right? They promise the world and deliver nothing. And, mm. and the result is the victim is kind of victimized twice. So I'd, I'd love to hear your approach to recovery, how you've been successful, and then maybe if we can contrast to some of the other things that are happening uh, out there, just so people can tell the difference, that would be great. Yeah, that's that's a very important point. It's one of them why we are so, you know, kind of public about it, why I do post, why, you know, I, yeah. I, I love to speak to you here on the podcast because there is a, it's called recovery scam, right? There is a, a lot of recovery scam companies out there. Um, and I would say then there is also other investigators, mostly or individual firms who are actually legitimate, some to more, more some a bit less, right? And then, you know, uh, looking at that is actually one of the reasons why Cybera is so so valuable. And we strive to make it clear. I mean, we're a VC-backed tech company, right? We use technology as much as we can and we make the process as transparent and clear so it benefits the victim and so we can make sure that reaction happens in the best possible way to, to improve this chance of recovery. Now, more specifically, what does that mean? It's all about speed. That I'm going to put out there. If it's one thing to remember, right, uh, we see that in our data, we know it from law enforcement, uh, the faster we can react uh, after the fraudulent transaction, be it crypto or wire, and the faster we can inform relevant parties, the higher the chance you get money back. And just briefly, I have to separate between like wire transfer and crypto because we also have a lot of success cases with wire transfers, but it's actually not that different. With a wire transfer, right, coming back to the example with you, right, let's say you sent money from the US to a German bank account. Uh, when you report with us, we immediately create a, um, a criminal report or complaint and send or dispatch that to that beneficiary bank where we have a contact and that happens within the platform and to the relevant police in Germany. Uh, We translate that report with all the information into German even, which also is uh, sometimes important. And so within minutes, police and the beneficiary bank have at a high quality all the information about this case, the victim, the transaction, and that can help them or that usually triggers them to take action, to investigate the account and to freeze money if it's still there. So that's, that's you know, on the wire side. Now in crypto cases, as you of course know better than me, there is always the element of the crypto like tracing, right? So we have to follow the, uh, the, the flow of funds, identifying which, you know, potentially crypto exchanges we can inform similarly to informing a beneficiary bank. And here in the best case scenario, I always say you can 
go to your police, right? The officers are there. They help you, you know, one or two days. They do the tracing. They do all of that for you. But as we discussed, right, that doesn't happen often. Resources are still limited. And it's also not the, the main job, even legally speaking, of the police to help you with that. So as transparently as possible, we try to bridge that gap. And we've been doing it more and more successfully. That means we help by doing that tracing uh, with our own team using, of course, you know, um, uh, tracing tools. Um, and we don't just trace, but when we trace, we also, like with the bank example, then immediately send the report and the tracing to the identified uh, uh, crypto exchanges. And yeah, so this doing it at a high quality and high speed has allowed us to, to then have these exchanges or banks trigger funds, which is a key, key first step to then recover it, which obviously takes, you know, law enforcement and so on. Yeah, I mean, that that is really the critical thing. I couldn't agree with you more is the speed of notification in order to help with recovery, I should say, because at least in the crypto world, at some point there's a funds go through compliant exchanges almost always. And if you can read that exchange in time, they can freeze those funds in an account and there's a high likelihood you can have those recovered. But once they've passed through the exchange, it becomes difficult to trace they often will then go to non-compliant exchanges and jurisdictions where they don't really respond to legal process and the likelihood of recovery goes significantly down from there. I'm curious, you know, if, if I were a victim and I was trying to decide which recovery firm to, to talk to, what would be some of the things that you would say would be a good indication that the firm uh, is maybe not one that I should be doing business with? Like, how, how should someone kind of tell the good guys from the not so good guys in this recovery world? Well, for me, that goes even for scams in general, right? When you look at the, the website uh, this organization has, I mean, even though it gets much easier and easier now with AI to do professional websites, if they don't communicate too much, I think about, you know, the company organization who's behind it. If you like click on their LinkedIn and they don't have one or, or it looks dodgy or has like 10 followers, like for me, that are some red flags. Now, again... <laughs> It can be that you have an amazing person that just started out and it's, it's just beginning, right? Yeah. But these are some signs and I know they can be hard, hard to spot. The other thing is, in general, I would say turn to, you know, your places you can trust, which, you know, is law enforcement, yeah. but might also be your sending bank or, you know, the exchange or whatever wallet provider you used. And if they have a recommendation of kind of who to work with, then that's also another, you know, sign you can take. And it's one of the Approaches we you know do like we put it out there as much as possible that we have the best interest at heart of victims and that's why we already successfully work together with police uh, you know with exchanges uh, with banks and with a lot of nonprofits that support victims and they convinced you know with what we do and that we can make a difference and so they they're happy to work with us but yeah I, th that's as much as a clear answer I can give you because as you know the scam scammers are creative and they you know, uh, they might try to, to impersonate Cybera and yeah. uh, it's not always easy, but take your time, I would say, as a victim, you know, do as much research as you can. But then, you know, once you've done that, it's important to act, to act fast. We've even had impersonators for Chainalysis. Um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <What's> yeah, <laughs> multiple different schemes. But you're, you're the real deal, right? I'm speaking to the real <laughs> 
this is not this is not a fake podcast. This is a real podcast today. I, and actually, that that brings me to my next question, which is actually about deep fakes. So I've spent a lot of time over the last year, kind of diving into the the world of artificial intelligence and the the things that you can do, whether it's building a website or translating audio and video from English to German or another language, like it's incredible. And it it can be done with such high quality, low cost and done quickly that I have to imagine that this is going to change the way that scammers operate. I mean, I would expect it to be more scams, maybe shorter lived scams, because the cost of setting one of these up kind of goes down. Like you can just quickly build a new website or quickly invent another online persona. I'm curious if you're starting to see this show up in the data yet, or is it still too early? Are we still in the beta testing phase of artificial intelligence? Yeah, I think we're, we're uh, way past uh, the beta testing. Well, we may be, I mean, I'm personally like in a still in a testing phase and uh, I already see the potential, but again, criminals are, are often, unfortunately, even a step ahead. So yeah. they're usually some of the first ones who adopt these technologies. And we, I mean, frankly speaking, in our data at Cybera, it's still, it's not the majority. Like we don't have every day a case where AI is involved. But on the other hand, the victim who reports might, in most cases not know that right mm-hmm. so from stuff i've been reading the people i've been talking to it's quite obvious that ai is already widely ad- adopted and in use by organized crime and i mean we see it for example in how these um these attacks or the social engineering is carried out you mentioned it right like the, the emails the phishing mails that initial message or the text they send with uh, ai it's so much easier to make them sound good right yeah i mean if you use sometimes ai for your emails or you know especially me as i'm not a native english speaker obviously so it's really amazing how it can help you but it also unfortunately amazingly helps the scammer and the criminal right <laughs> and it goes beyond that so i'm sure you've read some of the reports right there has been ai applied in in voice kind of cloning so this will happen much much more often i mentioned ceo fraud but it can be ha- used for a roman scam pick butchering anything right is if you have a recording of a voice of let's say me or you right you can use that voice and you call your CEO, right? And say, right. hey, Michael, they said, please make the transfer of 50K or something, right? He wouldn't fall for that, but that that's already happening. And then we did the same thing, right? The tools the criminals have are becoming much more effective, unfortunately. And so even more important, we fight back. I think a lot about that audio case because obviously I've got a few hundred hours of high quality <laughs> audio. <laughs> for anybody to train on, right? It's available yeah, on any podcast platform. Security. <laughs> yeah. I just have to tell all my loved ones to ignore a phone call from me asking for money ever, right? That's, uh, <laughs> yes. I wish there was a better solution, but that's all I've come up with so far. Well, but we've also seen, I think, you know, humans, it seems in this day and age, tend to trust video more than they do text and audio. Like we're all maybe on the lookout for uh, fake emails. Even my non-technical friends, they tend to have a skeptical eye towards anything that comes into their Gmail inbox. But when you see a video, I don't know if it's a a human brain thing. Like it's hard to imagine that it's not real, you know, assuming that it's of reasonably good quality. And with AI that like we've gotten to this moment where you can create videos of well-known people saying and doing things that they never did. 
Um, I, there was one scam, I think, with Mr. Beast recently where it was something like an iPhone giveaway that you mm. could register for and, and totally unaffiliated to Mr. Beast. But given his draw and popularity, it, it drew in, I think, millions of people who fell mm. for this. So be safe out there, I think, when it comes to comes to AI. No, 100%. Yeah. Be safe, be skeptical. I guess as we as we come to the end of the conversation, uh, Nicola, I'm I'm really curious. Like, what what's next for for the company? What do you see on the roadmap for the the coming year here in 2024 that you're excited about? Yeah, there's uh, a lot. Of course, we're excited about. As you've heard a bit, you know, through throughout this conversation, we've we've come really a long way. Basically, showing that this information sharing concept, or in the way that we build it, is working. I mean, our collaboration, another big milestone towards that way and so we are excited to build upon that right and we have a lot of you know partnerships that are that are going to you know happen in, in this year in 2024 and in the end our business is is about scale so the more victims we can reach the better the better for the recovery side of things but also the better uh, better for the prevention side of things so yeah we're very very excited of course to, to just continue and build on that success that we had and now double and triple and 10x that so as you said, pretty much hopefully everybody soon, you know, knows about about Cybera and that we can together with our partners really make a big difference against this this crazy scam, you know, epidemic. Awesome. I'm so excited for the partnership and the opportunity to make a dent in these scammers activities and, and to help as many victims as we can. So thanks so much for the time today, Nicola. Really enjoyed getting to know you. Likewise, Ian. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed what you heard today, do me a favor, open up your podcast app, rate the show, give us a review, tell us what you liked. Even better, share the podcast with some of your friends. And of course, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. The podcast today with Nicola was extra special as Chainalysis just announced his partnership with Cybera, which will see Cybera's scam data delivered into Chainalysis investigative solutions. As Nicola discussed in the podcast, their watchlist product is a global data set collecting details of financial crimes from around the world. This integration will hopefully arm government agencies and compliance teams with richer and actionable blockchain insights to better tackle and prevent scams in this ever-increasing threat landscape. To read more about the partnership and what could be a turning point in combating financial cybercrime, head down to the show notes to find the link to the full press release.